listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham. Welcome to the Save the Marriage podcast. This is the podcast that's designed to answer your questions right now about what you have around marriage, about saving your marriage, a marriage crisis, marriage therapy, wherever you find yourself stuck in a relationship issue. I say that because right now I'm answering questions from people who uh, are listeners and have something that they think is kind of a basic question that maybe a lot of people would respond to and a lot of people would be interested in. If you've got a question, just send it to me at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's a special email address, podcast at savethemarriage.com, and just ask your question. Tell me a little bit about what's going on, and uh, then let me know if I can even use your first name. If not, just let me know. You don't want the first name used, and I'll use the question anonymously. Now, here are a couple of uh, things you need to know. First of all, it does need to be about relationship work, about marriage work, about a crisis, something like that, something in the realm that we've been talking about and save the marriage. So don't be asking about politics. Don't be asking about uh, things in the world, but about how your relationship is moving along. The second thing is it needs to be something that's going to matter to a, a broader audience. It can't be a coaching question to your specific situation. Now, it's going to be tied to your situation. You just want to make sure that it has something in there that's going to be important to others. So let me give you an example. We're going to start in today's. Uh, This is from Claire. Claire wrote in and said, My husband and I went to a marriage counselor. I wanted to save our marriage, and my husband thinks it's over. After one single session, the therapist turned to me and said, You can't save your marriage. You need to accept it, that it's over. And what happened? That's the question. What happened? There was no effort That's what Claire said. There's no effort to save the relationship. There was no explanation, no sessions to even try. What happened? So let's talk a little bit about this. The interesting thing about this is Claire made a couple of mistakes, and I think the therapist made a couple of mistakes that often happen in the midst of going to marriage counseling. So first of all, understand that marriage counseling is still one of the leading ways that people try to work on their relationship. In spite of the statistical evidence that shows that that may not be the best approach, and there are some reasons why it's not the best approach. So let's talk a little bit about why I think that's the case. Uh, So when there's a marriage crisis, generally that's the first thought. Let's get therapy. That's because we live in such a therapized culture. In some places, especially big cities, it's kind of a bragging right to talk about my therapist. And there's nothing, there's, there shouldn't be any stigma to going to see a therapist. I don't want to change that. But I want to just kind of note how we've become very psychologized based on some theories that don't always pan out. And this is particularly true around uh, marriage work. We somehow have convinced ourselves that therapy as a whole is kind of this magical place, and marital therapy particularly, where it's kind of the therapist as the Wizard of Oz, capable of somehow bending the mind and convincing your spouse that there's something that can be done. And, And then there's that knowing of the deep conscious. Now, I know that because 
I was a therapist. Now, I still do work with, uh, with different relationship issues, but I do it as a coach. And that's a big shift for me because in therapy, you can't do marital therapy unless the couple is there. You can do relationship coaching if only one person is there. I only need one person to work on the relationship. I need both people if we're going to do marital therapy. The reason I transitioned is because I became very clear and kind of disillusioned with what was going on in therapy. The statistics still remain about the same. Now, let me be very clear. There are some very gifted therapists there, and there are some great approaches, and it works really well given the right circumstances. So I'm not giving a blanket, don't go to therapy as much as you need to understand therapy as the process, and you need to understand one big thing. The therapist is not the Wizard of Oz, unless you pull back the curtain and see that the therapist is just a person who has some skills, who has some capacities to help you understand things, but can't work magic. So if you look at the statistics, about 50% of the people who go, of the couples who go to marriage therapy still end up getting divorced. That's exactly the same as in the general population. So with or without therapy, the chances of surviving about 50-50, roughly speaking. More than that, only 10 or 15%, depending on the study that's looking at it, said that therapy helped with anything at all, that they actually came away with anything at all. 10 to 15%, that meant that 90, 85 to 90% of people left therapy feeling like they hadn't gained much from it. There are some reasons why that's the case, and there are some ways that we could improve the outcomes for that, but we've got to understand that there is a basic problem with therapy. So just as there is just the wizard, the man behind the curtain, that's true with the therapist too. They're capable of helping. They're just not capable of the magic that we've kind of put upon therapists. And one of the things I used to always kind of find interesting was I would go to a party or something and people would find out that I was a therapist and they would be afraid to talk with me, thinking that I was somehow delving into their subconscious and reading their mind. (laughs) Therapists aren't brain readers, mind readers. They're not, you know, they're not anything other than normal people who have learned to approach things in different ways and to help people find their way through. Given the right circumstances, given the right direction, given the right approach. So that brings us back to Claire. What happened with Claire? One session into her marital therapy. And everything's over. The therapist says, you might as well accept this. Now, the reason that this is one that I wanted to talk about is because Claire is not the only one who tells me this story. I've heard it over and over enough to know that this is something that may be affecting you, not just Claire. It could be affecting a number of people listening. So I want to respond to Claire, but understand that the reason that this isn't just about Claire is because of how common this is. I want to talk some about three different dangers to therapy and how this fell apart for Claire. So Claire, here's the first danger. The first danger is about the training and the experience of the therapist. The work of a marriage therapist is very different than the work of an individual therapist. People who are trained to work with individuals understand individual psychology 
People who are trained to work with marriages understand the relational piece, a systems understanding of the relationship. It's not the intra-psyche, it's the interpersonal that distinguishes those two things. But a lot of people who are trained as individual therapists claim to be marital therapists. They didn't ever go to a full training program, but what they discovered in their clinical practice is they had a lot of couples coming to them. That didn't mean a lot of couples were being saved. It just meant that they were coming to their practice, and so they began to say they were doing marital therapy. More than that, there are some people who go to like a weekend course or a couple of weeks here or there or read some books and decide that they can do marital therapy, not understanding that there is a radical shift in understanding that must happen in order to do the different work. Now, let me also be very clear that there are some therapists who are well-trained both as individual therapist and marital therapist. So there are plenty of people who are equipped to do either work. You just don't know it by the fact that they say they do marital therapy. So the first danger and the first problem that happened for Claire is that she was working with a therapist who was trained as an individual therapist and chose to side with the husband in this process. And that cut off the whole process. So one of the things that I always recommend for people is they inquire about the training for their marital therapist before they start the marital therapy. It's okay to ask. And one way you can ask is to say, so when we come into your office, my spouse and I, who is your client? And if the therapist struggles to answer that, then you know that they aren't clear about marital work. If they say your relationship is, I'm here to help your relationship, that indicates that they at least have an understanding, a cognitive understanding of what needs to happen. Because when you go to marital therapy, neither one of you are the central client. You both are clients, but what's the central client? The focus of the therapy is the we, as I talk about it, the relationship. You also want to inquire about how they approach this. Because one of the things that often happens is that therapists default to helping people with communication. Now, don't misunderstand me. Communication is important. I want my wife to understand me. I want to understand my wife. But communication or fixing communication isn't going to fix the problem. Communicating better only makes you more effective in the poor communication that you're having right now. Okay, so that's mistake number one. That was the, or let's say that's danger number one of what was going on for Claire. The first danger that people face is the training and background of that therapist. The second danger I just talked about is the therapy approach. Do they look at it about communication or do they understand some part? Now, here's the other danger of approach. Sometimes people like to take their individual model and they start looking at who kind of is the blame in the relationship. So a lot of times in marital therapy, uh, the therapist starts throwing out diagnoses about who's at fault here, who has uh, some issue in themselves that's affecting the relationship. Now, let me also be clear that it is possible for somebody to go to marital therapy and have individual issues, depression or anxiety or lots of other stuff that is affecting their life. The problem is that begins to be the focus of marital therapy if you're not careful to the exclusion of the relational pieces. 
So that's where an approach can also be a problem when we're dragging the individual training into a marital approach that somebody's going to get blamed. Kind of in this case, the blame fell to Claire, that she wasn't able to accept that things were over, that she needed to come to terms with that, that she needed to get past her denial. So she began to be the focus of what was going on instead of the relationship. So there are two pieces to this. One is kind of the understanding of a relational issue. Sometimes the, that, the default to that is it's a communication problem. And so how do you fix a communication problem? You teach communication skills, but communication skills only make people better at fighting. So that doesn't help. Sometimes people drag in their individual approach and decide to find who is at fault in the relationship, not how they can improve their relationship, but who's messed up in the relationship. And once again, they get stuck. Which brings us to danger number three, particularly in Claire's situation, and I think probably is the tipping point for what happened for Claire. Danger number three is having a resistant spouse that you are dragging in to therapy. This is very common, and I can tell you that even to this day, when I am doing coaching, I will not have a coaching session with somebody who is on the phone and doesn't want to be there. In order for me to work with a couple in relationship coaching, I require that both people be on board with working on the relationship. Now, notice I didn't say with saving the marriage, but with working on the relationship. They have to both be willing to enter into the work of working on the relationship, not about blaming each other, trying to figure out who's at fault. And that's often what happens when you have a resistant spouse. So what often happens is that somebody kind of coerces or forces or cajoles or somehow gets a spouse to come to therapy, and that spouse doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to work on the relationship, and kind of sabotages the process. They drag their feet. They blame. They want to talk about lots of past issues instead of trying to figure out how to move forward. In Claire's situation, she goes to therapy with a husband, who, a spouse, who is committed to the fact that the relationship is over. They're not working on marital therapy even when they get there in the mind of the spouse. The spouse might be going just to kind of appease a spouse or to make it easier to leave or to convince a spouse that nothing can be done. And that's often the case. They'll go to therapy and set out to prove that nothing can happen in the process, proving it to themselves because they're sabotaging the process. And in this case, even got a spouse to agree with that assessment, furthering the belief There's something true about humans that the more we say something, the more we believe it ourselves. We convince ourselves because we don't want to have these different thoughts in our head. We call it cognitive dissonance in psychology. Cognitive dissonance is when you uh, say or believe one thing and you say or believe another thing and they don't go hand in hand and that creates a dissonance. So for instance, let's say that you proclaim that you are always honest and then somebody points out where you lied. That creates a cognitive dissonance. Those two things are colliding with each other, so you have to either accept that you are not always honest, or you have to justify the lie. And generally, we go about justifying things to put it back into our bigger context. And so, in this case, a spouse who's been saying, we can't stay married, goes to therapy, 
and repeats, we can't stay married, once again, establishing it as an anchor in their mind. Not only that, now having brought in an ally of a professional who is committed to the same outcome with them. Not that that was necessarily the case, that there was no hope for the relationship, only that they got somebody to side with them. So in these, this situation, these three pieces come into play. Claire dragged in a resistant client, which was then approached by the therapist from an uh, individual basis, which also was based in the fact that this therapist was trained as an individual therapist, carrying the moniker of being a marital therapist, therefore, therefore giving proof to the spouse that nothing could be done. See, even the therapist believes that. You can begin to see how these pieces fall together in the midst of the session. So Claire, there is always the option of working on it yourself. This is something that I realized long ago in my work because you're in a relationship and a relationship is changed kind of in how you understand things and how you approach things. When you have a certain understanding of what's true in a relationship, it can alter what you do in that relationship. More than that, what you do in a relationship alters the relationship itself. Now, we all know this to be true on some level. If I am mean to a spouse over time, my spouse is finally going to distance and start being mean back in some way. I mean, how I treat my spouse on one end of the equation is going to change that equation. If you remember algebra, way back in algebra, <laughs> not, not a great math person, but I remember one thing about algebra. Both sides of the equation always had to be equaled out. There's a front side of the equation that equals the back side of the equation. So if you multiplied the front side by something, it changed the back side. You had to do the same thing on the other side. If you divide on one side, you had to divide on the other side. If you added something on one side, you had to add it to the other side to keep it equal. So this is where the relationship is like an equation. Change one side of the equation and it changes the other side of the equation. The equal is the we, the us. So it's possible to work on a relationship without the other person being actively involved at the beginning. They're still affected and so they change how they interact. But in the beginning, you don't have to talk about that. You don't have to get them to see that things are changing. You just work on it yourself without telling the spouse or, and this is very important, without pushing. By working on what I call the three C's. Connecting, changing yourself, and creating a new path. Connecting, changing, creating. Those three elements or how you can work on it without the therapist being there, without dragging a spouse into therapy, without dragging a spouse into um, you know, some program or video series or to a retreat or anywhere else. You just start working on this from your side. And as that changes the equation, it also changes the belief in a spouse that nothing can be done. The problem in this situation for you, Claire, is that your spouse's belief that nothing could be done was reinforced by the process going on. So this is for everyone. If you're thinking about therapy, number one, be sure to clarify what the goal of therapy is. Make sure that you, your spouse, and the therapist are all on the same page about the goal of therapy and that the therapy is proceeding toward that goal. Number two, 
You only do therapy when the spouse is ready for that. You may not even have to do therapy, but if you do, you only do therapy when a spouse is on board with working on the relationship. Number three, you want to make sure you interview and filter the therapist. This is one of those important things that, you know, of all the things that you're trying to do in life, think about how important this is, choosing a marital therapist. Let's say you've committed to marital therapy. Let's say your spouse has decided that they're willing to do marital therapy. And so you open up the phone book or you open up your uh, referral network from your insurance company. You put your finger on some number and you call it randomly and you go there. You probably don't do that for anything else in life. You pick a gym based on the fact that you feel comfortable there and you like their approach and how they do things. You uh, might do the same with a job. You know, you interview several different places and decide what you're going to do. Or even, and I've noticed this in my neighborhood, people are having roofers come to put on a new roof because of storm damage. And they have three, four, five companies come and look at it and choose the one they think has the best approach. And then with something as important as a marriage, They point to a phone number and book the appointment. So make sure you're interviewing and filtering your therapist. Ask about training. Make sure that they have specific, clear training in marital work. Ask about their experience. What kind of couples do they work with? What kind of success do they have working with those couples? What is their goal? What are they trying to do? What's their orientation? That's the third thing to ask. What's their orientation? What theoretical approach do they use to understand a marriage. Ask them to explain it to you. Ask them how that then changes into their therapy approach. Make sure you understand that. Now, one of the things that people often discover is that it's easier to start working on the the marriage first before you take it into therapy so that both of you are on the same page about what needs to happen towards that. Imagine the difference between having a reluctant or even resistant spouse go to therapy trying to prove that nothing could happen versus having warmed up the relationship, gotten it to a place where both of you are really wanting something different and both of you are on board of creating that within the marriage. Think of the difference that makes when both of you walk in going, let's make a difference. Let's make a change here. So if you're wondering what that one step is, this is the same answer I would give to Claire Grab the Save the Marriage system. Get started on a new approach. Start working on it from your end. A new understanding changes how you interact, and how you interact differently changes the relationship. And in the process, you get to a place where either therapy isn't necessary or therapy will actually be effective. Either one is much better than what Claire had happened to her. Don't fall into that trap. Make sure you're clear about where you need to go. And... If you want to get started, you can grab the Save the Marriage system by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Go there, grab the system, get started with it, see if that gets you where you need to go. And if you've got a question yourself, just like Claire did, send it to me at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. Just email me your your question. I'll see if it fits in. And if so... I'll respond on a future episode of the Save the Marriage podcast. Remember, start the transformation process at savethemarriage.com and email me your questions at podcast at savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best. 
as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.